Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to You Scared of This Shit, a weekly podcast where I, David Dykus, and I, Eli Phillips, watch every single episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Maybe, if we can put up with it for that long. We'll see what happens. This week we are on episode number seven, The Tale of the Captured Souls. Last week we talked about how this sounded like probably the scariest title so far. Yes. So we'll see how that holds up. The Tale of the Captured Souls was written by Anne Appleton of the Tale of the Hungry Hounds fame and directed by DJ McHale. Uh, the two of them produced what is hands down the worst episode in the series so far. So tonight is their chance to either redeem themselves or make us miserable for another 25 minutes. Yeah. I guess we'll each sort of get to that when we evaluate the episode as a whole. Shall we go ahead and just get into the recap portion? Yeah, let's dive right in. This episode starts, uh, thankfully, with the Midnight Society around the fire and no sort of shenanigans here. It actually starts in a way that I really enjoy with Gary nerding out by entertaining himself with a calculator. Gary looking super nerdy tonight, by the way. I mean, Gary, I feel, is definitely meant to be the nerd of the group. Like, if you look at any of the other guys, even the ones who don't exude toughness and coolness, which Frank does, but even if you look at David and Eric, who aren't, like, super tough, super cool guys, they don't have any, like, outwardly nerdy qualities in the way that Gary does. So I feel that this is... This is just the greatest extension of his character that we've seen yet. Gary is calculating exactly how old Eric is, uh, telling him in days, hours, minutes, and seconds. That means you're exactly 5,450 days, 17 hours, 15 minutes, and 37 seconds old. Gary tells Eric how many days old he is and asks him what he's been doing with his time. And Eric sort of sighs and rolls his eyes and says, Waiting for Kiki which I thought was just a classic dick moment for Eric. Like, we get to see Gary be the quintessential nerd, and we get to see Eric be the quintessential pessimist. That line felt like it should have been followed by, like, a laugh track from the Full House audience. So, what have you been doing all this time? Waiting for Kiki. (laughs) Or everyone rolling their eyes at Eric. Yeah, Frank just coming over and, like, punching him directly in the face. <laughs> I, I've, I've been thinking about this, and I think that, like, when they started writing the series, it was just like, oh, Gary's the nerd, and Frank's the tough guy, and David's the sensitive one, and Eric is rude. Like, he's the Raphael of the bunch. But um, I feel like as everyone else's characters evolve and sort of gain depth, they don't do that with Eric. Like, we sit, we got to see Kristen and Gary being friends, and we got to see Kristen and David having a romantic relationship, and we see all of these other things happening, but Eric just, he just digs his hole deeper and deeper and deeper, which... We welcome any and all hate mail, for those of you concerned that we just compared Eric, the worst character in the show, to Raphael, perhaps the best character on his show. Well, I'm, I'm suggesting that when they were writing the first episode, they said, Eric will be like our Raphael, he'll be like... He'll be cool, but rude. But they never nailed cool. They just got rude. That was all that they could manage to get out of him. (laughs) This sets up Kiki emerging out of the woods with a uh, Polaroid camera and snaps a bunch of of photos of everyone, catching them off guard. They're all blinded by the light. Uh, Frank, we get another allusion to nudity as Frank goes, Hey, it's a flasher. Uh, Did you notice Betty Ann's enthusiasm when she looks at her picture developing? I specifically made a note when I was writing down how everyone reacted. Like, Kristen complained that her eyes looked gross, and Eric complained that he looked old, and Betty Ann was her classically enthusiastic self. She was, she said it was like a ghost emerging. It's like a ghost becoming real. Because she's yeah. never seen a Polaroid picture before. 
<laughs> Betty Ann approaches every day as though it is the first day of her life. Like, she's just always excited about every experience. Like, it is the best version of that experience that she could have. So Kiki passes out all the pictures, and this is setting up her story. She talks about how some Native American tribes believe that when uh, you take a picture of them, they lose part of their soul. Which sounds like maybe it's just, you know, a sort of a broad stereotype of... Native American people. This is something I've actually had to deal with in my job as a photojournalist for a news station. Like, but not with not with Native Americans, right? Not, not with Native Americans. Uh, but I've had I have had to deal with this exact superstition superstition uh, with the Amish many many times. They are adamant about not letting journalists or anyone take pictures because they they genuinely believe it will take part of your soul. I didn't know that that was their reasoning. I I knew that they didn't want it. But no, that's exactly what it is. There were several Amish scandals that we had a lot of trouble getting video of. Have you ever been threatened by an Amish man, Eli? <laughs> I have never been threatened by an Amish Well, man. I have. And I just want to take the opportunity to uh, apologize to all of our Amish listeners. We're not meaning to alienate you. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Can we just get to the story? Yeah. All right, so Kiki passes out the pictures and explains that some Native American tribes believe that a photo can take your soul. She says maybe they're right. And this sets up uh, her introducing tonight's story. The Tale of the Captured Souls. All right, so this tale starts, and we're introduced. This time, we don't get the the classic two young protagonists trope. Uh, We meet a young girl named Danielle, or Danny. uh, And she is on her way to a vacation house with her family. We meet Danny, we meet her mom, and we meet her dad, and we meet the true villain of this story. Her dad's Jerry Curl. <laughs> I was about to say the opposite. I was about to say that her dad is the protagonist of this episode because they roll up to this hotel in a convertible and her dad has like a Jerry Curl mullet with sunglasses on and he is great. The dad looks he... like a flawed clone of Lionel Richie. <laughs> No, 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 no. He's he's definitely an improvement. Like he's amazing. Yeah, he he's got a very, very sort of classic late '80s, early '90s look that I thoroughly enjoy. The family pulls up to this uh, this like historic looking house. They're on vacation there for the week. Danny is unhappy that they didn't get to go somewhere exciting like the beach, and she sort of begrudgingly walks up to the house and gets ready to go in. But the door is locked, and she tries to find a key around the door. We we get our first hint of plot as she touches a mirror and gets zapped. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, this is the first mirror that we see in the episode, which I normally wouldn't point out, but it's an, it's a very strong plot point, and they set up the foreshadowing very early on, like before we even meet well, our antagonist, which I thought was well done. The door opens from the inside, and they're greeted Hi. by a very obviously evil child named Peter. You must be the Selmans. I'm Peter Curlin, the third. Peter looks like what ghosts look like in other episodes of the show. He's very pale, and he's wearing very old clothes that are all like sepia toned. Uh, he looks like if he looks like a kid who died doing the Charleston. He's got <laughs> suspenders on and black trousers and like a, a shirt that was probably meant to be white, but is definitely like an off-white gray. And he has a terrible, terrible haircut. Are you insinuating he died from like doing the Charleston too much? Like one of those old-timey dance contests? He just <laughs> did it till his heart gave out. He is the John Henry of the Charleston. (laughs) So yeah, we meet this ghastly-looking child named Peter, who very cryptically answers the door and uh, and greets Danny. Danielle, 
yeah, Danny. And leads the family in. Yeah, he mentions that they have the whole place to themselves in kind of a way that that wouldn't be an ominous sentence, except for the way that he delivers it and the way that the camera captures his face. Like, he does a little side eye as he says it. You have the place to yourselves. So we know that he's up to something. Yeah, in every shot we see uh, Peter, he's like leering or like he has his head tilted down at a very suspicious angle. Like, despite him being physically gray, there are no shades of gray with this character. He's very obviously the villain from the moment that he steps onto the screen and he delivers every line like a cliche villain who is really tired. So he leads the family into the house. He gives them a brief tour, says they have the whole place to themselves for a week. And he takes the parents to their bedroom, which is just packed full of mirrors. There's an entire wall full of mirrors of various sizes, and Peter explains that his family collected them. Yeah, that they had a mirror collection. Uh, Danny comments that this is weird, right, as her dad throws himself down on the bed, and we get a shot from the view of the mirror on the ceiling. And he says, I kind of like him. Is this the perviest joke in the show so far, or is it the second perviest behind the Yowza that we got in Super Specs? Oh, don't worry. We are about to hit the perviest joke in the entire show. So, uh, Danny, while this is happening, she kind of ignores her dad, and she touches one of the mirrors to straighten it because it's crooked, and gets shocked a second time. Ouch! Peter sort of brushes this off and says that the house has faulty wiring, and Danny comments on how weird it is that there's faulty wiring in the mirror. Peter brushes this off and says that he'll show her to her room. She goes to her room. It's sort of a generic pink girl's room. Of course, there's a big mirror in it. Pretty inconsequential. And then we cut outside to uh, Danny and her dad playing catch with a softball. I was actually sad that there wasn't something more extreme about her room that we could comment on. Like, in a house that is insanely full of mirrors, I was hoping we would get to make another joke about Frank. And her room is the plainest in the setting so we brush past it really quickly to everyone outside hanging out yeah that shot is just there to establish that she has a room and she doesn't have to sleep in like the laundry room or something so we cut outside they're playing catch uh peter is there sitting on the steps sort of observing jerry curl dad pretty much forces peter to come and participate with them and we see that he is the worst person to ever put on a baseball glove uh he misses a very simple catch He tries to throw the ball back, and it drops about a foot in front of him. We learn that he is a frail, weak child. Here you are. The shot, I love when he throws the ball, and it immediately cuts to the dad's feet. Like, you don't even get to see the ball hit the ground or anything. Peter does a bad job of throwing the ball, and we just do a hard cut to the dad's feet, and the ball, after a second, slowly rolls up to his foot. It's like the saddest thing. And we hear the dad quietly resolve to never play sports with Peter again. <laughs> so the mo- at- This was the moment where I sympathized with Peter. <laughs> Did it hit too close to home? I, I, I felt his, his shame in that moment. Like, it was a very uncomfortable scene. The next shot as well. <laughs> the next shot, the mom comes out with a Polaroid camera and offers to take a picture of everyone. And Peter screams and throws himself against the ground, covering his face. Smile at me, buddy! No! Pete! Yeah, he reacts like he's trying to hide from an atomic bomb blast. Did this hit too close to home? I definitely related to, like, just reviling cameras at that age. I never wanted pictures taken of me when I was, like, in eighth grade or something. I I always felt like I looked dumb in every picture. After recoiling in pain... Peter offers to take the picture himself, goes up, snaps a shot of the entire family, and then holds the photo up and grins maniacally to himself. Yeah. 
just because <laughs> we need it reminding once again, Peter is evil. There is something afoot. Yeah. Like, there's just no reason for him to be that amused by the photo. It's so heavy-handed. I kind of like, like, yeah. after a certain point, it happens so much in this episode that it becomes endearing. Like, that's sort of the magic of <laughs> yeah, Are like, You Afraid of the Dark, is that sometimes they'll take a stupid idea and just repeat it to the point where it becomes charming. Which is why we count the number of scream takes, yeah. it's it, The first time I watched it, I was just sort of, like, shaking, I was sort of shaking my head at... Uh, at the Peter character, but the second time I watched it, I, I actually enjoyed seeing how many of these weird, awkward moments he had. After this, we get another classic Are You Afraid of the Dark scene, the child exploring the creepy house. Yeah. Uh, something we've seen in, I think, every single episode so far. Hello? Danny is looking through the house, and she hears a noise coming from a, a door. I guess she hasn't entered yet. Hasn't explored yet. Yeah, it's a big house that they're in. It's a big house. She opens the door. She sees the softball they were playing with earlier that has, like, fallen down a set of steps. And she goes up the steps to find Peter's room. Peter's room, I'll point out, has a, uh, it has a, like, one of those woven straw hats that you would see someone wear if they were in a barbershop quartet, which I think sort of furthers my theory that he died doing the Charleston. Yeah, there's a lot of vintage uh, antiques and clothing and, like, period stuff in his room that maybe sort of raised some questions. Peter burst into the room surprising Danny and uh, explains that he has the house all to himself. I do what I want when I want. It's like a dream come true. And we get what is by far the creepiest line of this episode and maybe the entire series. She asks Peter, What do you do for fun? And he is sitting on the bed with his hands behind his head and sort of raises his eyebrows at her and says, What do you want to do? I have in my notes here just you. <laughs> <laughs> and especially knowing what we learn later in the episode. Oh yeah, yeah. That makes it a thousand times creepier. Yeah, he makes multiple comments throughout the episode that that creep me out. I mean, he I think he displays an obvious attraction to Danny. It's super weird. Which if he was a ghost, if if I'm spoiling it here, but if he was a ghost that would be fine. About two seconds later, that, that question is, in my mind, answered almost, not definitively, but almost definitively, because Danny finds, uh, on his dresser by the window, she finds a bunch of flowering plants. Uh, he has a little garden growing, but it's hooked up to all sorts of scientific equipment, and there are dials and levers. Yeah, he has this bizarre contraption that is connecting a, a pot full of roses and, like, a pot full of geraniums. And the roses are withered and dying, the geraniums are full of life and doing really well. It's natural selection, with a little help. There's also a picture that she finds of... The picture is labeled, like, someone has branded it with the date 1920, and it shows a teenager that looks identical to Peter. Peter says it's his grandfather. Yeah, he, he says, oh, me and my grandfather looked a lot alike. And this is sitting on the table next to the two sets of flowers where one set is dying and one set is, is blossoming. So at this point, we, the audience, pretty much have the plot figured out. We know exactly what's happening here. Peter is, like, somehow sapping the life from the people who live in this house uh, and transferring their energy to himself. He's been doing this for a while. Like, there's no mystery really left. It all kind of lays it out there. Yeah, it's also important to note that this is, we get a close-up in this scene of Danny with a very big, like, it looks like a wart, but I think it's claimed to be a pimple that has developed on her cheek since in between the last scene and this one. What are you doing? Nothing. Really. What? Don't be such a dweeb. Well, it's just, well, I 
think you're breaking out. Yeah, she has this monstrous blemish that she uh, Peter points it out to her, and she runs out of the room to examine it. And then we get maybe the best scene in the entire episode, where Peter reveals a hidden button, presses it, and his room undergoes a dramatic transformation. His room is the precursor to Arnold's room in Hey Arnold. Yeah! He presses the button. He presses the button that she almost pressed on his desk. He shooed her away from his his little science experiment. That's why he pointed out the zip, was to get her out of her out of his room because she was meddling with his science experiment. So when she leaves, he presses the button, and his walls fold out. They have they're they have like motorized panels and compartments that fold out, and we see all sorts of like metal uh, and brass specifically wood and brass scientific equipment. It's a very steampunk laboratory that is hidden inside his walls and it flips out when he presses this button. Yeah, we see a variety of contraptions and vials and monitors. He's monitoring everyone in the house, and he has three specific vials labeled like man, woman, and child. Yeah. I guess he exclusively rents to, like, single-child families? Anyway, they're full of this liquid, like this red liquid. Basically, this is a visual indicator of him sapping the energy from this family. Yeah, uh, and the centerpiece of all this is a giant, like cylindrical. It's a giant tube in the center of the room that he steps into and closes the door. Yeah, this looks like the tube that they would put Captain America in before he took the super soldier serum. Like this is something out of a very cliche science fiction movie where you get in this giant brass tube with a heavy vaulted door and a window so that you can see the person's face. I really like the look of his lab. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. It's a very it's a very. Uh, fallout sort of thing timely it has this we see him monitoring the family he steps into the tube uh lights begin to flash within the tube and we get to cut away to the dad who is examining <laughs> himself in the mirror like poking at his poking at his beer belly this is the first time we realize that jerry curl dad is the dumbest man in the world because he looks at his watch and sees that it has begun to spin like, hours are flying by on the watch. Yeah. Something clearly abnormal is happening here. He doesn't seem to pay it any mind. He just sees the watch, the hands on the watch spinning hours into the future. Then he looks and finds, like, his temples graying yeah. on his head. He's like, his his watch is freaking the fuck out. And instead of being concerned with it, he looks back at the mirror and is like, oh, shit, I've got some gray hair. I'm sure these two things are not correlated. <laughs> uh, we... We take a commercial break. We see the Midnight Society for just a few seconds. Nothing really consequential happens here. We get another scene of Dad, Danny, and uh, Peter playing softball in the backyard. And this time, Peter is killing it. He's, like, striking the dad out. He hits a ball, like, out of the yard, like it's a home run. He calls his shot like Babe Ruth. The dad quickly decides that he's worn out. He just isn't up to it and goes in. And he, he is grayer, we should note. He, his hair is grayer than it was the last time we saw him before the commercial break. Yeah, he has aged visibly since uh, we last saw him. Peter insists that he run into the woods. He stops uh, Danny from going and exploring the woods where he hit the ball. Uh, so we learn there must be something suspicious out there. Uh, we see the mom, who is also very visibly aged. Her hair is graying. Uh, both parents are becoming lethargic. And we see that uh, Danny herself has also aged considerably since the last time as well. She goes to the bathroom, looks in the mirror, 
sees that her face is like covered in pimples and she also looks down her shirt for boobs and kind of raises her eyebrows yeah i i thought that was kind of funny that that was how they showed the pa- i mean it's not inappropriate but the way that they showed the passage of time here was to make the parents get gray hair and make her get zits and boobs so what after she's checked her her bust she gets frustrated with the pimples that she's seeing all over her face and slams the the it, she's looking at like a a medicine cabinet mirror in the bathroom <laughs> Uh, she slams it shut and reveals what is very obviously a camera leering out from uh, the shattered remains of the mirror. We learned one of the reasons why the mirror uh, was shocking her, and it's because there's all sorts of equipment behind it, one piece of which is a camera. Obviously concerned about this, she calls her dad in. Her dad, again, just cementing his title as the dumbest man in the world, doesn't see anything wrong here. <laughs> Look, there's something really weird going on here just the old wiring in a mirror what happened here get this cleaned up before somebody gets hurt assures her that it's just the wiring even despite the fact that there's a visible like circular camera lens <laughs> just glaring at them i wish the camera would have zoomed in and like the lens would have extended out from the wall <laughs> you think that's bad honey you should see my watch and then he just shakes his head and walks away Danny throws some water on the the lens, and then we cut to Peter stumbling out of his tube, coughing and wheezing, and his hair is uh, standing straight up. It's comically fried. Yeah, she throws water on the camera and causes the camera to short-circuit, which then causes his scientific equipment that it's hooked up to in his lab to short-circuit, which causes his tube to steam and his hair to stand up like like a cartoonish Einstein stereotype. Danny decides to go out and explore the uh, area of the woods that Peter prevented her from entering earlier, and she finds a, the fakest-looking graveyard. I have seen front yards on Halloween night with more realistic graveyards than this. Yeah, these are all obviously, like, hand-cut out of foam and hand-painted. He finds, for some reason, Peter's headstone, uh, which doesn't have a death date on it, but indicates that he's been that he was born in 1907. And she also finds four very curious, kind of hilarious markers. Yeah. Uh, black, small black figures in the shape of like a man, a woman, a child, and a dog. Yeah. There are little markers, like uh, tally marks on each of these, stu- on each of these sort of uh, like icons. So there's a, a, a cutout of a man and on it are all sorts of tally marks showing how many men have like been juiced to keep Peter alive and how many women. And it's like, 30 men, 20 women, 10 children, and two dogs. <laughs> Which is, like, it's just, what is the implication there? What, how, how much of Peter is dog at this point? Is, what's the percentage of him that is dog? If he absorbs a dog, does he age faster? I love that this is never addressed. I like that we don't know the answers to those questions. Yeah, clearly a dog came to visit the hotel and was, like, stood in front of the mirror, and Peter was like, well, I guess I can't, ha- I, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm going to, I'm going to absorb some dog. Danny runs inside to explain to her parents that she's figured out the entire mystery. Her parents have now aged to, like, a hundred. I guess it is. It's just catching up with me. They look almost exactly the same. The only difference is that they have like slight wrinkles painted on them and gray hair. They look like they're like 60 or 70. Their energy has been totally depleted. They don't want anything to do with this weird mystery. They both just comically flop on the bed at the same time. 
Danny realizes she's going to have to deal with this on her own, and so she runs upstairs and activates the uh, the secret laboratory in da- in Peter's room. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she presses the button, and all of his gizmos and gadgets spin out of the wall. Um, she sees them and discovers, in the exact same way we did, what is going on. Like she sees the two the tubes of person juice with the icons of the man, woman, and child on them, and just figures out. Like, oh, of course, I get what's happening here. It kind of makes me wonder why they bothered to show that stuff to us earlier. Because even if they hadn't, I still feel like I would have picked up on everything. But also, like, they didn't need to show this to me before if they were going to show it to me now. I could have figured it out with Danny if I hadn't picked up on it yet. That is true, because we we get sort of a redundant couple of sequences here. Yeah. Uh, Danny sees Peter in the uh, in the monitor, Except she sees an old man, uh, and she runs down to confront him. But when she finds him, he appears young again. She runs back out to the graveyard, and the final sort of confrontation between the two of them begins. Peter approaches her and explains that uh, he's basically about to finish off her parents, and that once he does this, he will be young forever, and his plans will have all come to fruition. You leave my parents alone. Stay with me, Danielle. We can be young forever. You're crazy. No, I'm very, very smart. But if you won't join me, I'll have to use you, too. Ah! It's too late! You don't have any time! So she races up to the lab. Somehow, Peter is already in his tube, like, absorbing the last of her parents' juices. He hops out, Danny shows Peter his own reflection in a mirror, and he, like, averts his eyes and shields his face. And she's somehow able to lock him in the tube, and we get, uh, she gets her kick-ass one-liner moment of the episode. Well, you messed with the wrong girl, Petey boy. Danielle, no! And don't call me Danielle. She switches the comically large dial on his evil machine from plus to minus and then throws it into full gear. So all of the youth that Peter has absorbed is transferred back to the family. Mom, Dad, wake up! We gotta get out of here! Uh, We cut downstairs and Lionel Richie and Mom wake up. They have both been restored to normal-looking people. All of their bad old-age makeup's gone. Danny convinces them to get out of the house and go somewhere fun. So they pack up, and as they're leaving, we get we get a very strange moment where she turns back, Danny turns back to the door where they first came in, and we just get a glimpse of ancient, like, 90-year-old Peter looking back at them. Yeah, you can barely see any details of, of Peter's face. You just know that it is an old person, and you barely know that much. This is not played for laughs. He... he peeks through the curtain and tells her. Somehow through the door, we can hear all this very clearly. I'm going out back now to join my family. It's been far too long. Enjoy your youth while you can. Danny, who was that? Nobody. So he he decides for some reason that he is now reformed, and then he sort of draws the curtains so that he is hidden, just in time for her dad to walk back up. The last thing we see is uh, her parents find a picture that, uh, we we glossed over this earlier in the episode, Danny had snapped a picture of Peter with the Polaroid camera, 
Yeah, she used the Polaroid camera to escape him at one point by taking a picture of him and the, like the flashing light blinds him long enough for her to run away. They find the picture that is developed and it shows an old man covering his face. They ask who this is and Danny assures them it's just some sad old man. <laughs> and they drive away and the camera tilts up to the attic where the lab was located. And that's it. Yeah. That is the that is the story. We cut back to the Midnight Society looking at all of the Polaroids that Kiki took of them. Uh, and she comments that she has one more Polaroid shot left in her camera. So we get a very sweet moment of the Midnight Society gathering around arm in arm while Kiki sets up the camera on the, the stone throne. Smile, everybody! And then the there's a flash of light and we see all of the Midnight Society leaving as the camera pans down to the Polaroid, which has been propped up on the throne, and we see a cute picture of all of them together. So that's the tale of the Captured Souls. What did you think of this episode compared to uh, the previous entries, and especially compared to the last Anne Appleton. Uh, collaboration between the writer-director of this episode? This was an episode that did the exact opposite of The Tale of the Hungry Hounds. Our biggest complaint when we watched The Tale of the Hungry Hounds was that it was just chock-full of exposition. Long moments of people standing around telling each other what happened. Whereas in this episode, we get a whole lot of showing, not telling, but they also kind of hit us over the head with that. Like we, we see more things than we even need to to figure out this very basic plot. So it was uh, definitely it definitely went in the opposite direction of the last Anne Appleton episode, but maybe not in the best way possible. It did play everything very broad and very sort of on the nose. Uh, but I'll take that over long spiels of exposition any day. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a lot uh, more room for humor, and there was a lot more room for sort of fun character moments. Like, if you have characters doing things, even if they're doing obvious things, it's more entertaining than having them stand around and say stuff. This was not the best episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark. This was sort of a forgettable episode. Uh, it, the plot felt kind of generic. I feel like it was a fun set piece, seeing that laboratory. Like, that lab was way better than Dr. Vink's lab was. It's sort of a cool idea, I guess, but they never do anything particularly interesting with it, except for the dead dog in the cemetery. That was sort of the strangest part. But otherwise, very, very generic. Uh, but yeah, otherwise a... A totally inoffensive 23 minutes. How put off were you by the fact that Peter was obviously romantically interested in this girl who was like 80 years younger than him? I'd forgotten the plot of this episode, so I couldn't remember whether he was a ghost or not when that, uh, when that scene was initially taking place. Once it became clear that he was a 90-year-old man uh, coming on to a 13-year-old girl... I was immediately really, really uncomfortable. He even suggests that she join him and that they live together, at, like, perfect and young forever. Which, Ugh. I mean, like, I don't know. It seems like when he is a young man, he's more maniacal because he becomes an old man again and decides that he's going to give it all up. So maybe it's just because he's a young man, he's attracted to a, a girl about his age. And then once he gets old again, he's like, you know what? Fuck all this. He was still creepy. You could maybe make the argument that this is a moral gray area, but I would say that it's it's just creepy. Yeah. I guess there's really only one more thing left to address, and so I'll ask the question. Yeah. Eli, you scared of this shit? Absolutely not. Nope, me either. This is the, I would say, one of the least scary episodes 
if you were to rank it, where would you put it on the list? Um, mm, I don't know. It's better, obviously better than Hungry Hounds, but it's not, it's, it's, I don't know, the second worst, but that's not to say it's a bad episode. Yeah, yeah. I think that The Tale of the Hungry Hounds is overall not a good episode, but I think that every other episode so far has been in one way or another fun. I was not scared of this shit at all. The only um, I will say that if I were watching this as a kid, I would find uh, Peter's goodbye at the end to be really unsettling, and uh, it wouldn't be scary, but it would sort of I would probably be traumatized by it for different reasons. The fact that he's like deliberately going to his death. Yeah, like I guess I didn't expect this episode to end with the character like growing old and dying of natural causes. Yeah, I think they did that because they didn't want to have the implication that Danielle killed him. And so they have him just accept that, you know what, he's lived longer than most people would. Although I guess, like, not really. He lived a perfectly, like, normal lifespan, didn't he? If he was born in... Yeah. If he was born in, like, 1910, and he died in 1993, like, didn't really do himself any good, did he? I mean, I guess not. Hmm. It still just felt kind of oddly bleak. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that the... As far as, you know, are we scared of this shit, I thought the scariest visual moment was when she is up in his laboratory and she looks into his uh monitor and sees the old man downstairs because on a black and white monitor this like creepy deranged old guy snooping around the house trying to find where you're hiding like kind of hunting you was sort of a scary image but it didn't last long enough to actually be a scary moment yeah it was a bit like zebo the clown in episode two we we don't ever get a full reveal of the uh the true form of the villain yeah yeah, except through a mirror. Except through a mirror. So let's take a look at what we've got up next week. We're going to be watching The Tale of the Nightly Neighbors, which is directed by Jake's... How do you say this? Jake's Payet? Yeah, I would say Jock Payet. Yeah, and uh, written by Chloe Brown. So she's done some fun episodes. Uh, this one's going to be written by her, directed by Jacques and uh, the story is going to be told by Betty Ann. So I'm very enthusiastic about that one. Can't wait. All right, so tune in. Um, we're not sure when our next episode's going to be. Uh, we both have some holiday and personal stuff coming up. Uh, but whenever the next episode drops, it will be the tale of the Dightly Neighbors. Yeah, stay tuned. In the meantime, uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash shit one word. Uh, and twitter.com slash you scared of this. And of course, all of our episodes are on SoundCloud as well. Listen, share, let other people hear. We're trying to get on iTunes again, still working on that, so. Yeah, don't 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 put swear words in your podcast titles, kids. So yeah, keep listening, keep sharing. Thank you to everyone who has enjoyed it so far. We'll see you next time for the tale of the nightly neighbors. So, Eli, do you want to close things? Yeah. Uh, on behalf of myself and David, I declare this episode of You Scared of This Shit closed. Good night. Good night.